All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a super strong passion for health. And along those lines, I'm really enthused and excited to have Dr. Leah Houston on the show. Dr. Leah Houston is the founder at HPEC. She is an emergency physician. She's not practicing right now, but has been an emergency physician at some of the top health organizations around the country. Uh, has a very vast background, really doing some uh, powerful stuff, but I'm not going to steal her thunder. Uh, Dr. Houston, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. Absolutely. No, it's it's great to, to ground and to spend uh, spend some time with you to hear about your background and your passions in health. And, you know, I'm sure you've listened to a couple of these episodes already. Origin stories are so important um, to what we do, and they set a found, firm foundation Tell me a little bit about the series of events that went on through your life that led you to become the person you are today. Wow. Wow. Um, the person I am today, I, that would go all the way back. Um, but, you know, I chose to become a physician because I really, really loved uh, solving complex problems. I love the idea of working with people to help them through uh, their individual complex problems that you know they're experiencing regarding their health, and um, so that's kind of what led me to become a physician. You know, I my father suffered with multiple health problems, including epilepsy. Uh, he was a smoker and ended up actually dying from heart disease. So that also influenced my decision. Um, and you know, as far as switching from becoming a physician to an entrepreneur. After practicing for nearly 10 years all over the United States, I realized the same problems in every single health system, whether I was working in um, a high net worth area like Southampton um, in Long Island, or whether I was working in the Mission District of San Francisco, we were really struggling as physicians with overburdensome regulations and uh, requirements to be data entry clerks rather than practicing docs. And um, I noticed that this technology has the potential to alleviate a lot of that friction. And so that's what led me to HPEC. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, Dr. Houston, yeah, no, I'm so sorry to hear about your father. And, you know, I'm sure he'd be, you know, super proud of you today. And, you know, that sounds like a very, that was a very uh, defining moment that set, you know, a, a really interesting series of you know, refining steps in this space. And um, I'm very fascinated by HPEC and your work. And, and it's great to have a founder for this organization come from such a, such a, you know, literally hands-on uh, world. Can you tell me a little bit about HPEC and how your current passions and health converge in what you're doing at HPEC? So tell us, tell us a little bit about HPEC. Tell us a little bit about your passions and, and why this organization uh, needs to exist now. So HPEC is building an identity management tool for physicians where uh, we can own and control our own professional identity in a self-sovereign way. And I know that that's a lot of jargon, uh, but what people don't realize is every single time you log in to an EHR, um, and hit send or hit sign after you're done completing that record, you are essentially giving away your patient's protected health information to that electronic health company and to that health system. 
And if the patient signed a HIPAA form, which most are required to do, that entity is now allowed to uh, de-identify that information and then turn around and sell it to the highest bidder. And what people don't understand is that you as a physician, they're also capturing your private data. Uh, they're capturing your prescribing patterns, your referral patterns. Um, insurance companies are learning from this data in order to find ways to turn around and decrease reimbursement, deny payment for services um, to, to practicing docs, and sometimes to deny payments to patients. Um, they're monitoring everything that we do. It's become a surveillance capitalism world of healthcare. Mm. Uh, and so the technology that we're trying to build will essentially allow us to keep that data and own it ourselves in a digital wallet. And if we choose to share it, uh, we can share it in a federated way, meaning we're not going to have to expose our identity um, and we can share insights without uh, the potential for surveillance capitalism and punishment in retaliation. Mm. Mm. I love it. I love it. And, you know, to me, that's that's definitely not jargon. It really resonates with with I think what needs to occur, you know, in this market. And um, tell me a little bit about, um, uh, you know, some of the un underlying problems, like how would you how do you how do you look to sell this, you know, adopt this and get this out? So obviously so many physicians are, are, are needing something like this, wanting something like this. So many are wanting something like this, but can't even express that this is what they want. That's what I've also been seeing as well, which is which is sometimes great and prime for innovation in this space. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how you're how you're, you know, looking to grow and scale this and disseminate this out, and maybe what are your, uh, what are your initial, you know, what are you initially finding in the market as well? Just love to understand a little bit about, you know, deeper the product and distribution and, and your focus. Well, I think that we've reached a critical point um, as physicians where the majority of us are so extremely frustrated, um, we're so burnt out, and mm. when I say burnout. It, it's really, we're, we're exhausted from the mm -hmm. requirements. And I think we've reached a critical point where many of us are open to considering the possibility that we could potentially do something about it. Um, and they're opening up um, their, uh, you know, their ability to potentially work towards solutions. Whereas previously, uh, doctors were more likely to just sweep it under the rug, you know, hope that this was the last requirement that would be asked of them. They're starting to realize that that's not going to stop unless they do something about it. And so based on that, I think, um, you know, some doctors are leaving medicine altogether. Uh, there's a, you know, Facebook group where physicians get together and try to share ways to make extra revenue um, so that they don't have to work as much. And there's 70,000 doctors on that Facebook group. Wow. And it's not because doctors don't want to practice medicine. Most physicians, it is their joy to practice medicine. Those moments in the room where they're actually able to talk to, examine, um, diagnose, and treat patients are uh, very precious moments because that's what we went to medical school to do. But those moments are being stolen from us by the EHR and by the administrative burden of, you know, 
the uncompensated administrative burden of prior authorizations and the like. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, people don't realize that physicians have the highest suicide rate of any profession. Um, every, every day physicians are killing themselves, uh, rather than continue on this path. So these, these statistics should really, um, help the general public understand how much, uh, you know, physicians are suffering. And there's recently an article put out, I think it was by the Annals of Internal Medicine that showed the data behind this, that patients also suffer mm. when a physician has a high level of burnout, um, when they do their analysis then the patients that those physicians take care of also have worse outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, so this is something that directly affects patients and it needs to be addressed. And so although technology, the technology in itself is very new and very on the edge of reality, um, physicians are open to considering the possibility that it could help them um, what, because of how frustrated they are. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it sounds like you're solving a, a, a super, super huge problem. And, you know, there's nothing, nothing worse than, um, you know, burnout leading to, you know, such extreme conditions or even suicide in anyone, right? Not just physicians. You bring up a good point about burnout and suicide. It's a, you know, you, you and I hear probably a lot in this market being this you know, similar space um, or, 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 you know, complementary spaces. A triple aim, but now quadruple aim, where the fourth aim is to reduce burnout, right, for physicians and staff. In your history of being, a, you know, practicing a practicing physician and, and an emergency uh, physician, what have you seen some some things to reduce burnout or to help, uh, you know, doctors get over micro trauma? We I had someone on the show recently from uh, I, I, it, I think it was Zuckerberg General. And they were telling me about the the level of micro trauma that you accumulate if you don't clear it out. You know, you're going from a gunshot wound to a stab wound to this person just passed away. That that wasn't your your. And there's nothing funny about it, but there's that that wasn't your impact. And then you're going on to this person, and they lost the limb. And then next thing you know, at the end of the day, you're just processing. But I guess without rambling here, what are one or two things that you've seen to to help burnout? Um, whether it's technology related, whether it's uh, personal related, habit related, uh, just love to hear kind of your your mindset on on trauma and healing trauma uh, for for physicians that focus on trauma. Well, I have to be honest with you. Um, I didn't feel burnt out by um, busy days in the ER. Mm. I didn't feel burnt mm. out by back-to-back, -back, you know, uh, high-acuity patients coming in. Mm -hmm. I felt burnt out when the resources that I needed were not made immediately available to me. Mm -hmm. And when I was being given excuses by the administrators as to why those things could not be made immediately available to me. Mm -hmm. um, there, in my opinion, there are very few to no uh, current initiatives that are appropriately um, addressing this issue. Mm -hmm. um, health systems have lots of wellness initiatives and resilience initiatives and um, mandatory training on how to meditate. Those are not helping physicians. Let's make that very, very clear. Right. They are causing more harm. They are essentially telling a very highly skilled um, very intelligent human being, what they need mm -hmm. to feel better. Only if 
only an individual person knows what they need to feel better. And if they're clearly stating it and you're ignoring it and or making excuses as to why you're not offering it to them, then you are part of the problem. And that's mm-hmm. the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, physicians themselves are not being asked what they need. And when they are being asked and they're responded, they're being ignored. Um, Mm. Physicians need to be completely in control. They need to have absolute autonomy. They need to have their needs addressed. If I order blood stat for an acute blood loss anemia patient with a stab wound and I forgot to click a box on Mm -hmm. the EHR, there needs to be a mechanism in place that immediately alerts somebody to get that done for me. So mm-hmm. that I don't have to worry about it in an hour and wonder where that blood is for that patient. Because mm-hmm. I've already had to take care of two other critically ill patients by that time. I don't have time to double check that I click the box. And I don't have time to listen to an administrator tell me that I need to learn to click the box. It's not mm-hmm. acceptable to me. Mm-hmm. And so, in my opinion, um, the current initiatives are not helpful. They're not. Right. And any initiatives that will be helpful will be designed by actual practicing physicians, not administrators. I love it. I love it. Um, Dr. Houston, so you, you gave a really good use case and that's, you know, uh, I wanted to hear a little bit more. So obviously from, you know, you gave an interesting blood example right now. What are some other use cases that HPAC, uh, you know, re- seeks to uh, alleviate, you know, so maybe walk us through maybe one or two more know day in the lives whether you know this is full-blown implemented and you know from you're in new york right so so from mount sinai all the way to out here you know stanford or kaiser or sutter um tell me a little a, a couple more use cases that that your your platform would solve well i mean i'm not saying that my platform is going to resolve that issue i think i was just sure. trying to address the um question of how to resolve burnout in general sure um, sure you know our platform is really a very simple solution to a very big problem for both physicians and health systems. And it's a problem Mm -hmm. of credentialing. Um, You know, it takes two to five, sometimes six months for a physician to credential for a new health system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is all about validating and authenticating that that doctor is who they say they are, Mm -hmm. are qualified to do the things they say they're qualified to do and have not, killed a bunch of people or had a bunch of <laughs> practice lawsuits. Right. Um, but if you really think about it, any of this information, it should really be tracked once mm-hmm. and it should be in one place. Mm-hmm. And when I say one place, I'm not talking about a centralized server on the uh, Department of Health and Human Services database or a centralized server in a private company. I'm talking about Uh, one place with the individual physician to whom that information belongs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that can be done in a digital wallet uh, through a digital identity platform. Mm -hmm. And so I went to medical school once. I have my medical degree once placed onto that that chain and Mm -hmm. validated into my wallet um, so that if I ever need to show that certificate, it will be uh, known to be true. Um, Nobody will have to check with anybody else and it will be transferable instantaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, Same with any licenses. Yes. Okay. Maybe an expiration date will be tagged to that. And every two years you need to renew that, but that license could be also kept validated in my digital wallet. So instead of 
a health system having to spend uh, two to five billion dollars annually is what it, it's it's costing um, health systems and physicians and insurance groups to maintain these credentials, sometimes uh, potentially more than that overall. Instead of them paying that two to five billion dollars to administrators who are going to, you know, call the medical school and double check that that degree is accurate and fax over this form and make sure that it was received, it can be done instantaneously in a streamlined way, directly through the physician who holds and carries those credentials in their identity wallet. So mm. instead of two to five months for validating and authenticating all of these digital form, uh, all of these forms of truth, it can be digitized and validated instantaneously. Got it. Got it. No, this is, this is powerful. So, um, reducing lead time for the credentialing and like moving from hospital to hospital if you're a physician, um, you know, one, as you're going through some of this, one thing I, that, that I think about a little bit is like, you know, when you have these different disasters, um, uh, and you need to send doctors all over the place, all over the world, um, you know, for these different, different, uh, you know, scenarios, um, is that a use case that you see your, your platform and technology helping to solve as well? So I can imagine the lead and ramp up time for, you know, getting doctors where they need to go based on disasters, um, probably could be a laborious process sometimes. Does, do you, does that, is that a use case that, um, applies to what you're doing? Absolutely. There's so many use cases I think of, um, you know, the telemedicine is becoming extremely um, something people are paying a lot of attention to mm -hmm. because of shortages. Mm. So they're like, okay, well, we'll just use telemedicine. Well, you know, telemedicine is great, but it's a interaction with a private physician that really patients need. Right. Um, it's the face-to-face -face interaction. We need physical examination. We need um, to be able to look at body language. We need to be able to talk to family members. We need to uh, be able to interact on a closer basis. So, um, you know, telemedicine is a very good use case, but also imagine, you know, I worked as a locum tenens doctor. Um, you know, imagine if I could go work for one week a month in a rural area that really had a high need um, easily without right. having to do that two to five, you know, months of credentialing paperwork uh, mm -hmm. to get there. So yes, it could totally go globally as well. You know, how, how does an ophthalmologist who's been practicing for 15 years in India compare to an ophthalmologist who's been practicing for 15 years in Japan? Mm -hmm. What are their experiences? What kind of equipment do they use? What kind of patient outcomes do they have? Let's capture that data and in order to allow people to move across continents if they want to. I do believe this is the future. I love it. I love it. Uh, Dr. Houston, can you tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, I guess along these lines, right? What you're doing is setting ourselves up for an interesting future. Um, you know, it's this attribute needs to really exist in the market. It's going to solve some significant problems. Can you tell me a little bit about you know, what you see the future of healthcare evolving to, um, maybe it's related to blockchain and what you're doing, maybe it's, it's broader, but, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear the, uh, the future of healthcare according to, uh, Dr. Houston. Well, when you think about it, you know, we used to have tribal cultures, um, local cultures where, 
um, you know, the local church would chip in to pay for this surgery for one of their patrons and things like that. And then Mm -hmm. we started moving into the employment-based insurance model and the Medicare and Medicaid system. And since then, we've seen increasing vertical integration and consolidation. And the promise was that things would get easier, they would get less expensive, um, we would be able to, you know, uh, distribute risk. But unfortunately, we've seen uh, the healthcare costs rising exponentially, um, increasingly more cumbersome systems. So I think this technology has the ability to decentralize. I mean, it is a decentralizing technology, but to bring people back to a more local level, uh, to a more tribal way of uh, managing uh, relationships and diseases and um, healthcare resources, because you know it's really a it's a community driven technology. Um, So, but it will essentially be allowed, you know, it will allow for the digital transformation of those local tribal co-op like structures to exist um, in a more streamlined fashion. So, you know, local physicians will be able to communicate about the needs of their patient populations. They'll be able to quickly and easily curbside consult each other about patient care. They'll be able to uh, get an appointment for their patient next week if it's emergent because um, we'll be able to capture that data on a more granular level and the individual doctors and the individual patients on the network will no longer need to go through these multiple third parties just to be able to get the things that they need. They Mm. will be able to go directly. This is a technology that allows for peer-to-peer interaction, peer-to-peer data transfer, um, and uh, therefore a more communal-like process. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Um, Yeah, no, I definitely see us going that way. And, you know, it's it's super exciting that, you know, you're really leading the charge on, you know, some critical pieces that really need to usher in this future uh, Dr. Houston, you know, uh, one other last question. I promise I'll only have one other question after this one because I want to be sensitive to your time. This is really rewarding to, to have this conversation with you. Uh, something I, I don't ask every single guest, but since you are a founder and entrepreneur and CEO, um, one thing I, I'm always curious on is habits and rituals. What, what is something you do on a personal basis, uh, whether it's weekly or, or daily to stay healthy, to stay resilient, to stay at top of your game. Obviously being an entrepreneur is a little bit different than other professions, just from the level of, you know, potential oscillation that you can have, you know, from what you face, you know, growing your business, growing this technology. Um, what do you do to stay healthy? Um, well, I actually, um, had a daily meditative practice for many years and mm-hmm. I have gotten out of the daily thing, but I'm starting to get back into it. I mean, um, I try to do at least 10 minutes, three to four times a week now, but it used to be much more frequent, but it does definitely ground me, um, and keep Mm. me, uh, it keeps me focused and keeps me resilient against any type of negativity that might come my way. Mm. Uh, and I also recently got back into a more, uh, paleo ketogenic diet and that absolutely helps my sleep and, um, you know, keeps me energized. Doesn't, you know, I don't get the crash, no carbs, no crash. Right. I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, same, same here. <laughs> same here. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a whole new world when, when you get into it. And uh, you're like, where was this my whole life? But, um, but uh, no, this is awesome. This is super awesome, Dr. Houston. And um, so one thing I want to say is I really appreciate your time and, and coming on to tell us about, you know, your why, you know, your origin, what led it led you to become the first the person you are, but the entrepreneur uh, and founder that you are, and it's really exciting to see the technology that you're bringing to the market in an opportune time um, that where consumers need it, where physicians need it, and to hear about your vision of health in the future. Um, my very last question is that if our listeners would like to engage with you, and I know you have some some um, speaking engagements coming up, you're always do, uh, doing different speakings uh, across the country. Um, anything coming up and any, any way you would like our listeners to engage with you, um, or directly or through social media? Well, I don't know if this is going to be published in time, uh, for my talk on November 1st at Stanford, but I will be there. Last week, we finished up the blockchain healthcare summit in New York city. Uh, and my next scheduled event isn't until April. I'll be in LA, um, at the California orthopedic association meeting. Um, and there are a couple other ones in the pipeline, but nothing else has been finalized. Uh, as far as social media, Leah Houston, MD, um, uh, at Leah Houston, MD, and then at HPEC ID, H P E C I D. Uh, I'm on Twitter pretty much every day. If you want to send me a private message, please feel free to do so. I try to respond at least a couple times a week. Sometimes they get backed up and, um, Please just sign up for our newsletter to stay informed, especially if you're a practicing physician. You know, we're probably going to be entering into a public sale sometime in the um, late winter, early spring. So uh, I look forward to engaging with all of you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dr. Houston, this was extremely rewarding. It was great to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, this was, this was great. And to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. This show is for anyone that has a super strong passion for health. Dr. Houston, again, this was great. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you.